What is happening? How are you guys out there? I hope you guys are staying safe um, in this world gone absolutely crazy <laughs> mad. Um, I think pretty soon the zombie apocalypse will be upon us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting couple of weeks and, and um, we are uh, just trying to keep our heads above water <laughs> at this point totally. uh, and survive it. Um, but uh, I think we're up to episode 21, uh, which is pretty amazing. You know, we started this, uh, you know, over 10 weeks ago, and we were, we've just, God. I know, <laughs> I know, 10 weeks ago we started this. And, and, and we're uh, a tenth of the way through it. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. We're really enjoying uh, the interaction that you guys have with us, and um, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, make sure that you subscribe. Uh, to our YouTube channel. Um, and we have lots of fun things coming. Um, hopefully uh, in the future, um, we'll be talking about all kinds of those things coming up. So uh, please stay tuned. Um, uh, so today, uh, what do you want to talk about, Chris? Anything regarding audio. <laughs> <laughs> any single possible thing we can that involves live audio. You know, exactly. Yeah. Any, well, anything but uh, talking about the world. Yeah. Anything about anything. Yeah. Yes, I, know. Uh, I don't know. Let's do, uh, let's do the thing that you and I were chatting about. Kind of more, more on loudness. Okay, cool. So um, I've had a bunch of people um, ask me, you know, both of us, I think on previous videos, we've spoken about uh, there's nothing funner than going to a festival and having the dude look at his SPL meter and be like not believing that his SPL meter was working because the mix that you're putting out is perceived much louder than whatever the speed limit is, right? Um, and so, you know, both you and I have experienced that where we've shown up and, you know, uh, we're mixing along. And it's definitely clear that our mixes are um, perceived louder uh, then maybe even the rest of the day. Like all of a sudden we show up as the headliner and, and we are – it's not that we're being allowed any number different than the other guys. It's that we're doing, um, we're, we're doing a bunch of things um, to deal with uh, perceived loudness versus measured loudness. So um, I thought that we might talk about that. Um, maybe kick us off with that in um, what, are your, what your initial thoughts are on maybe some things that you do uh, in order to, uh, to achieve that. Sure. <clears throat> a couple things spring to mind. The first place that, that, that my mind has gone is immediately it was, what does it look like at the final stage of my mix? Cause I think that's what people are going to want to hear is about what we're doing there, which is vitally important. And I have, uh, things to say there that I'm very passionate about. But then the second place my brain goes, which is maybe more important is to something that we harp on often, but there's a reason, and it is this all of the various stages leading up to the very end. You know, both of us, neither of us have this super loose mix that then at the end we clamp something on and it brings it all down and then it magically works. Right, you know? right. So I think, you know, 
going back to something that we speak about often, it's just all of these various stages. Uh, and it's, that's typically in grouping or in busing or however you want to phrase it is kind of putting the reins on the dynamic range of, of virtually everything in small little steps incrementally, right? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so I think that's a big part of it. And, and I, I, maybe I'll just touch on these real quick and then we can kind of circle back around totally. to yep. whatever, whatever else you want to throw in there. But I think it's that. I think it's the pre-bake. I think it's all those little steps that go there. And then it is what you do at the very, very end. Um, and everyone, you know, we've talked about the big, the $100 million question is always what's on your stereo bus, you know? And I love totally. the guys that say nothing. Like, I love it. <laughs> like, nothing. Why? And it's yeah. great. But that's not the case with me. Um, and, and for a lot of us, and I can tell you what does the least is actual for me is actual compression. The way I use, you know, the way I use, and what I mean by that is a compressor. Now, limiting is right. a different story. Okay, cool. But when I think about compression for me in the stereo bus, it's usually uh, slower attack times, quicker release. Kind of, it, it does put the clamps on things, but it's also used to accentuate those transients and to make it snappier and, and, and with a little more pop. So while it reigns in some of the average level, uh, the meat of stuff does get a little grip on it. It's sort of a lot of times, you know, <clears throat> like if you see a meter that's doing negative three, for example, that doesn't always mean you need exactly plus three. In fact, you may only need plus one because you're really accentuating two dB of transient. You know right. what I'm saying? That's exactly right. Yeah, so so that's, I think we should get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit too and speak to RMS versus peak mm -hmm. and those kind of things. But mm -hmm. first, maybe let's back up just a little bit and kind of talk about the physics and the, um, the testing that people have done in regards to perceived loudness versus measured because this is not just something that we've made up. There's a lot of people that have done some testing on it. Um, so when we're talking about acoustical energy, um, you know, the, the basic physical law there is that for every 3 dB, it doubles in sound pressure level. Okay, mm -hmm. so whenever you're talking about looking at equipment or uh, a measuring something, when you see a 3 dB change, either plus or minus, it doubles the perceived loudness. Okay, mm -hmm. but and, that and we'll make a point that that is the acoustic response. Yes, that, that is right. That's not the the voltage. Correct. Which Correct. Is meeting, metering altogether or different uh, means of mathematics altogether. 100%. So like, you know, changing on a meter of an output bus from zero to plus three is not doubling mm -hmm. what's coming out of there. It's, I'm just talking about uh, like if you're looking at an SPL meter mm -hmm. and you see a 3 dB change, that is a, a measured double amount of acoustic pressure. Mm -hmm. But actually... There's been a lot of testing, and people only start to perceive changes around 5 dB, okay? And at about 10 dB is when they perceive something has doubled. So yeah. what's interesting about that is someone that's using a meter looks at it and says a 3 dB change in the meter and goes, wow, this is double, he's doubly as loud. 
But in truth and in the reality of the world, a 10 dB change is really when someone starts to notice the double the amount. Mm -hmm. So the reason I wanted to point that out and in that testing is that there is vast differences between measured loudness and perceived loudness. And they're supposed to be the same, but when you test people, they aren't. And all of these things are related to a bunch of different stuff, like dynamic range. Um, you know, uh, I would say like, okay, so to explain a dynamic range thing, um, the, the difference between silence and an explosion and an explosion and an explosion is super vast. So silence to an explosion feels huge an explosion to another explosion doesn't feel like there's there's a uh, uh it doesn't have the same kind of impact right so um when we're talking about dynamic range and we'll travel down this rabbit hole maybe a little bit um you know there's a perceived thing that happens with dynamic range and peak mm -hmm. um do you speak to that a little bit if you can because sure. I know that you you always talk about dynamic range and the perceivedness of that. Yep. And it's really it's kind of it's a it is a rabbit hole because we're going to we're going to we're sit here and tell you that again when we get into human hearing, you know, the way we perceive things and that's where we're getting into peak level versus RMS RMS level. RMS more closely approximates the way we hear things. That's right. And now, don't forget about frequency too, Fletcher Munson, when we start talking about all this. So yeah, and, keep going. Right. And how we perceive things is different at different frequencies. Again, uh, look up the Fletcher Munson curve and you're going to see why it's important to keep your, if you can, to keep your mix level at a consistent level because you'll keep it tonally, it'll stay the same. As it goes up and down in volume, that frequency response will change. That's, so, and that is a factor of human hearing. That is a, yep. a a perception that people have in relation to frequency, just so you guys know that. Yep, yep. And so now we're getting into essentially evolution. <laughs> we are. But that's it, man. You yeah, know, that's know. really what we're talking about. So the thing that's sort of counterintuitive is that we will sit here and tell you that you will have, you can have a, if RMS most closely approximates human hearing. Yes. Uh, how we perceive loudness. So if your RMS is louder, let's say you could, you could have a signal, you could have a mix and where the peak is on one is here and then the peak on this one is actually lower. But if the RMS on this one is higher than the RMS on this one, this one will sound louder. However, that doesn't mean a gunshot, which has an enormous amount of peak level and very little RMS won't blow your ears out. That's, you know, right. that's the thing. So you are still physically affected by peak level, but as far as hearing and, and, and perception of sound pressure level, correct, that matters. And it's the same way as like a compressor allows you. So if you're able to take a compressor and condense it, condense the peaks down to a, uh, a level, then the overall amount of that level can be uh, raised. Exactly. So that, that is 
what people are doing like in the loudness war with records. That's, this, that's exactly what's happening with that. It's by reducing peak level and making your RMS be um, greater, the perception of it is that it's louder. Even though you're reducing level, you're reducing yep. a peak level, the perception of it is louder because mm-hmm. you're able to reduce the peaks and therefore turn it up a little bit um, in the digital scale. Yeah, so. and here's on a on an input level. Uh, here's a good example. Let's say you've got a live snare drum, and then you have a sample. He's got an SPD, or it's on a track, or something. Your live snare drum might be, if you're the kind of person where the you know gain structure is just sort of anywhere, it might be peaking. That that sample might peak at negative ten. We're talking dB full scale. It might peak at negative ten, but sound so much louder. Because right. when you look at on the meter set, most, most peak meters now have also their version of what is essentially almost like an average or an RMS component to it as well. You'll see that super loose live snare with the peak up here. You'll see this little thing down here representing the average or the RMS. Yes. On that sample, you'll see the peak here and the RMS here, and it will sound so much louder. And that is such a problem nowadays in, in modern mixing where those two formats are, are competing against one another is, man, I don't understand. My, my, I'm peaking. I'm clipping. My live snare, my, my, my live snare is clipping, and this thing sounds so much louder, and that's it. It's just we perceive it as louder. And this right here, RMS versus peak and manipulating those things for your betterment, I mean, that's the whole – that's like my whole trick, and, and it's not anything unique to me. I know you – yeah, you know, make great use of it too. That's how we make these things, and this is also how you have mixes that aren't clipping everywhere. That's that, right. That aren't peaking everywhere just to try to get at a place where you're not even happy with. Is, is is how do you raise that RMS level? Yeah, let's be clear too that this is not something that we are doing for a festival day. This is not something that we go, oh, I'm at a festival, so now I need to adjust my dynamic range. Uh, so that I can uh, beat the sound restrictions. This is, we're doing this before that. This is part of our mix. This is what we're working on from the beginning to get our overall mix having an appearance of being, having loudness to it. There's a little bit of um, give and take here, right? Because when I spoke about dynamic range and I said that, you know, an explosion coming from, no noise to explosion that shows you that impact comes from not rms impact comes from peak correct and so you play this game of getting your rms kind of right and getting the overall loudness so that you're able to to bring it up um but but not so much that you're destroying the impact part of that Right. Um, and I know you do this a little bit, but I do it a lot, which is uh, I control the output of my console to the drive rack and I um, adjust that level, sometimes three or five dB, uh, mm-hmm. making my own dynamics out of a mix that is nicely RMSed, if that right. makes any sense. So, for instance, um, if. If I have a, 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 core, or a verse part of a song, um, oftentimes I'll take the output of my console to the drive rack and turn it down 3 dB just for the verse. And on the downbeat of the chorus, I nail them with zero. 
and I'm kind of making my own dynamics um, and felt perception of dynamics, but still keeping it within the RMS dynamic range, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are just some tricks that I'm doing to kind of um, not only beat the measurement, right? Beat the 98 DBA weighted that they want me to, to be um, and make the perception of the downbeat of the chorus be huge, but not affect the LEQ of the measurement. Right. Um, but, but also that it, dynamics in general is, is uh, human hearing loves to hear. We like dynamics. You know, mm-hmm. it is um, the, the best sounding mixes to me have the right amount of dynamics that's going on in there. So that's mm-hmm. something that I do. Do you, is there other tricks that you kind of do to to you know not that you would do this to beat the SPL meter, but I'm just saying do things to have to make things have more impact. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I think it's. I'm glad you said that too because what we don't want to do is have the message of this come across as to you know vilify. Yeah. <laughs> anything what just we turn said, everything turn right. everything into this you don't want the mars bar you don't, don't want the, do right? that At certain yes. points that will suck you yes. know um and i thought what is your thing volume with impact what is that thing you've said yeah record quality mixed with impact with impact and that's the thing like i've got a buddy of mine a studio engineer who he's told me he's like you know i'm jealous of you guys you guys can get impact with sheer volume that's right. You know, and we yeah. can. So use that as a live sound mixer. Have a mix that you can feel. And yeah. not only feel come at you, but feel when it resends as well. That's exciting. So what we don't totally. want to do is vilify peak level. Use peak level. Be glad we can. Because <laughs> a lot of our studio brethren, man, they are kind of stuck in. I know. Super I mean, uh, Honestly, that is, I, I would tell you 100%. You know, I came into the live sound of this industry when the beginning of the loudness wars happened. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely on my mind that I was like, oh, good. I get to make dynamics here. You know, those guys don't get to anymore. True. So, yeah. So, and, and you know, and what you were saying about you're not just doing this to beat the meter, so to speak. You know, and, and I'm not either. Like, I truly like this sound. I, I like, there are yes. of modern mixing that I very, very much like. Absolutely. When I, when I pop in for me, it's another level of saturation on the stereo bus. When I pop that in, man, I love the sound where the RMS goes up. And a lot of times the peak drops a little. I like, like the, I, I enjoy the sound. So we're doing it. We're building it as such, A, because we like it, and B, so that when those days show up where we are subject to metering, that our whole world's just not totally fucked, you know? So, um, but I don't, I don't ride that, riding this the output of, of the stereo bus, so to speak, or whatever, you know, whatever the final stage is. That is a very studio thing. You'll, you'll definitely see guys that push the course a couple dB. That's, that's it. I just don't, I don't not believe in it. I just don't ever do it. You know, I'll push a part. I think I've mentioned this before. I'll push like a, I don't know. I'll push a section a couple times during the show. Usually if it's just like a, a show that's got some like dance break track element to it to make it kind of have a club vibe. Right. I'll do that, but I usually don't ride mine. I kind of sit in a spot that's just sort of, I just kind of sit in this spot and I know where it is. And a lot of times, by the way that I've structured the mix via automation, it, it might, the song itself might just be a little lower, you know? So totally I get it. Totally I, don't, get it. I, don't, I don't ride into it too much. Um, I just, yeah. I do, 
the kind of the reason that I do that. So, you know, let me explain myself so you guys can understand. Um, the, the reason that I do that is there is a different sound. So pretty much everybody has some sort of something on their mix bus that is doing a little bit of compression. Uh, mm -hmm. In my world, um, you know, it's oftentimes a C6, um, which means that it's multiband compression with different tonality change as you mix harder into it. So there is a, to me, there is a sound difference between trying to get that impact in an input or a group that is then affecting the master bus. In other words, so like if I wanted the downbeat of a chorus um, to have more impact, and if I did it on the input side, um, I would be mixing into the C6 and any sort of, it would cause a little bit of frequency timbre change versus taking the output of my, you know, master bus um, and adjusting it for full range impact. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's like, um, it's kind of the old idea of mixing into a compressor or not mixing into a compressor and especially a multiband compressor that changes timbre. Um, I prefer not to mix into a compressor. I like an insert on a group, for instance, where I'm not, you know, mixing into the compressor, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I do it. Um, but I totally get it. You're getting impact from a different, in, in a different way. We're doing the same right. things. You're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. And what's cool is I just, and what's cool is something we point out a lot here is, is we've got so many similarities and there's things we do differently. Totally. Uh, while I don't, turn on that stereo bus processing at the beginning of a mix, it comes really quick. And at the quick and at the point that I do it, at a certain point I am mixing into it. Again, because I spoke earlier when we started the video about wanting those transients to crawl. Like it gets to a point where I, I am very much leaning into it. So I use so for me, uh compression on an on an output stage is more for uh not tonal, what is it? it's more for excitement. You know what I mean? The where, maybe this is a good way to kind of segue into some of the things that that we do also at, at the very end, or at least that I do. While I'll use the compressor more for excitement, uh, it's saturation, of course, and I use it everywhere before, but then I've always got something at the end. Not always. I'll, I will turn it off on occasion. People would be surprised. I've got this stereo bus chain that's been that way for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I will sit there and hit... I'll turn that shit off repeatedly just to, and sometimes it might even be for my own sake to feel like I did something, you know, like when, during, during a show, you'll, you'll, uh, insert. yep. Cause when I'll tell you the way that I'll use, like I'll have, I've mentioned that the Sonic farm cream liner or any number of other saturation devices you can use with it on. If I turn it off, the mix will oftentimes seem to get in here. This is exactly what we're talking about. It will get quieter. It'll get less exciting. It'll get quieter when in fact it's often the exact same SPL, if not a DB or two hotter, which is right. The, that's what we're talking about. But there are times by raising RMS, you are kind of shoving everything together. So that's, that's true. Part. How do you, how do you, it's not as simple guys as just grabbing that limiter and making it do this. Like how do you do that? And everything not, it's not 18 elephants in an elevator. You know what I mean? That's right. How do you maintain the space? So there will be times when and there is no SPL restrictions or anything, but I'm listening and I'm like, you know, it's just, this room's tough. I'm having a hard time. 
it's cluttered. You know what? I actually want some space. So if I turn that saturation off, which is essentially just limiting with harmonic excitement, it, by that loosening up, which again, we can do that in live sound. So embrace it. A lot of times we'll clean the mix up. Yeah. So the things that I do are oftentimes there will be an element of saturation, again, just for the limiting, just for the harmonic excitement, mainly the way it lifts the low mids. And then I've recently, it's funny, like, you know, I'm like you, I'll have a band bus and then I'll have a vocal bus. And that's very common in live sound because with people doing processing at the very end of the chain, they don't want that band bus might be pretty heavy into active compression, meaning not really hitting peaks. Like it's just kind of moving the whole time. And you don't want your vocal being pushed down by that. Again, this in live sound, truth be told, a lot of times your vocal could live in that and it would be really cool, but we need, we need that vocal to pop up and over. We need every bit. We don't, we've talked about it before. We don't want that noise floor to raise and the vocal to be stuck down there to where you're turning it up and you're, you're turning up all that shit. That's just going to feed back and make mush. While I will do that so that my vocal a lot of times is not subject to the active compression, I'm nowadays not as afraid to put a digital plugin peak limiter on an output. And it's like, well, wait a minute, why are you, you just said you can't afford the 2dB from the compression. Why can you take it there? It's because that what that L2 or that name your limiter is grabbing is the fastest of fast peaks. That, that's right. That's what we're talking about you're not, you're okay to lose that 2 dB. And not only are you okay to lose that 2 dB, when the meter comes around, you're going to need that 2 dB to be in your favor. Yep. Like the last thing you want is some guy to be going, you're over, you're over. Yeah, you're yeah, over. yeah. And you're all out of your game. And really all you're over on are little snare hits that yeah. that super fast digital peak limiting grabbing will A, take care of, B, that's a sound. Like that's a sound of modern music. So I will have between the saturation, and then if I'm feeling ballsy or I feel like I can, and I'll even do this with uh, Bruno Mars. I've spoken to how uh, lively the vocal can be there and how yeah. hot it can be. <laughs> I'll even do it with him because for whatever reason, that super fast grab, I can get away with. Him living in compression on the stereo bus eh, doesn't yeah. always work. So that's kind of how I get those extra one up to four dB at the output level. And think about that. Think about the difference in – 4 dB when there is a measurement there. Oh, man, I know. That's everything. And to essentially have the same mix. Yep. Now, as always, there's a fine line into how much you can get away to where you start to lose the integrity of your powerful mix uh, and just the, the noise floor comes up. So there's yep. a balance there. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, the, um, the physicality of um, so this that you guys might be interested in is that an RMS meter um, is based on a sample of the peak that is somewhere around 300 milliseconds. And this isn't just something that somebody made up. They did some research and discovered that people's perception of change is somewhere around 300 milliseconds, right? So when we're talking about a super fast limiter, we're talking about something that's working in the, you know, 30 to 40 millisecond kind of a range or even, you know, faster than that. Um, and so that's why the perception of what it's doing, it's so fast. The perception of what's happening uh, on that bus is not that it's just squashing and clamping down. It's that, oh, wow, it's keeping this RMS level 
um, you know, as a, as a pretty standard thing. So I just thought you might be interested to know that, that, you know, it's not like people are just decided, Oh, I want, I need to have, uh, some sort of way to measure a, uh, you know, a, a normal thing without peak. This was definitely like people did a lot of research about hearing and said, yep. okay, the perception of hearing is somewhere around 300 milliseconds. Let's make the RMS meter be somewhere from 100 to 300, you know. Um, so all these things are important. And why I'm telling you these things are that you can maybe have them in your toolkit here so that when you come upon a situation where you have, you know, measured SPL versus perceived SPL. Those are things that you can, you know, those are things you can grab from your toolkit and be like, okay, so if I use uh, L2, it's a super quick limiter. It might help me, you know, um, with the output side of that. So that's, that's kind of why I'm sharing that. Yep. And you know, you can drive yourself crazy slash really, uh, illuminate your mind uh, <laughs> when you start going into ballistics. Uh, timing. When you go in to look at what you were mentioning, like what's the speed of a VU meter right. versus a peak meter, then get into the peak meters in general. Like if you open up, you know, we, we often reference Digico. I see one there in the background. Yes. There, I think they're stock. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm at the, uh, the uh, Tater Audio World Headquarters here uh, this week. I drove up from uh, Dallas to Detroit, and uh, that's probably what you're hearing all kinds of motorcycles drive by and all kinds of shit. You know, I live out in the middle of nowhere, but this is uh, near downtown Detroit. So you're, you're getting all the sounds of the city and the, uh, some the of audio. it really kind of fit in well to this. You <laughs> <laughs> above the average bullshit level, which yeah. that that's actually makes for a great point too. Cause now that I think, I don't even remember what I was getting ready to say. Um, one of the things that's so tough with live mixing as well is signal to noise. And in that, you know, I used to, okay. I, I an empty room sucks. An empty room is difficult. It's not going to sound like that at showtime. There's more reflections. But the longer I've gone in my career, actually a lot of times I will like the sound of, a, of the empty room during the day. Because while even though it'll have greater reflections, uh, or the number of perceived reflections, because they, they are simply greater without all the bodies there to soak them up, sometimes during the day I can really hear it. There's a much greater level of overall signal to noise because when the crowd gets in there and all that chatter and all that movement, next thing you know, and this is another reason to have a mix that's really strong in RMS. Because if like, here's the, here's the musicality, here's the bulk of your signal. If it's sitting way down here and all of a sudden the crowd gets in there and they're hanging out here, that's why you're like, what the fuck? And that, this is where you get in trouble. Then you start pushing that mix. Now your peak is growing. Suddenly you're at 106 because you're trying to get that shit above the rumble, above yes. just the noise. Uh, and so my point of that is I can, I, a lot of times I can hear the lower level detail in an empty room. Yep. And once comes showtime, it might be a little tighter, but I'm just like, oh man, because now I'm mixing particularly like we talk about Justin Bieber. Yeah. Or these people that are out mixing, you know, I don't know, One Direction or BTS or whatever the hell the screaming thing is, man, they're mixing within a level. There's that much to work with. So there yes. again, there's another reason to have your RMS grader um, is we're just trying to keep, again, think about just a minute ago, a motorcycle or a truck, or yeah, yeah. Tank, which very well could be happening at the time of this taping, just drove by you. And uh, it's like, we're trying to hear you within that. So that's another reason to have that RMS grader is because we're not, it's not us in a car. It's not us in a studio. It's us with X thousand people screaming. You know, yeah. 
So that's a really great point. And so this speaks to also uh, what we have talked about in our last 20 videos um, about clarity in your own mix. So bringing unwanted things and cluttering up your mix in general is causes the overall perceived RMS of all of this to be not good. So the less things that you can cut out of your mix, that's why high pass filters are so important. Low pass filters are so important. The less things you can cut out of your mix, the more the perceived SPL is, um, uh, will be greater, but also the overall, you know, we talk about intelligibility and clarity all the time. Those are the two things that both Chris and I want to be known for. We want people to come to our shows and be like, man, I, you know, I could hear the guitar through the entire show and the vocal was, I, I mean, everything. I could pick out every little detail. The reason that we do that is for the intelligibility and the clarity, but it is also how we achieve a higher perceived volume, right? Yep, absolutely. And you know, the more, the more, I, the, again, the further I go in my career, the whole notion of like, we'll just tuck that in the mix is further bullshit because you and I both know if there's something that is now tucked, it's still a part of the whole. Yes. So it comes to this point where you don't hear it, it just becomes a part of the muck and it adds to the, now the, the, the real key here though is not duck it or don't duck it is how much say do you have in the arrangement? And a lot of times you might not have any, you know, if you've been there long enough or you've got an open-minded group of folks you're working with, you may be able to, to go like, you know what? I don't think we need to tuck that. I think we need to cut that all together. Right. That's a great example. Great example. You know, and that kind of goes into particularly when we're getting into things like tracks it's like, well, no, just tuck it. Just, just tuck. Let's just have it in there. And it's like, it's not doing anything. <laughs> it's not but doing anything but cluttering. Yes, I know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but then there's sometimes, now here's the truth of it. Here's the deal. Let's say you're mixing like a, I don't know, a country actor like Bruce Springsteen or, or Timberlake where there's 13 people on stage and the third trumpet player needs to be doing something but there's no horn so they give him an acoustic and it's like, you could probably get rid of that. You know what I'm saying? As long as totally. everyone's on the same page. But Sometimes you can't. So sometimes in live sound, we are up against the wall because there are just that number of people in the band. They want everybody to be on the stage at the same time, you know, yeah. so it, it gets tough. So the, anyway, it's kind of circling around. But we're no, just- but I mean, that, that's a very important point that we've brought up in a, in a video in the past. Um, if, y- if there are a, an instrument playing the same part in playback and a live guy playing the same part on the same instrument – that's never going to end well. It's and not. so the, the discussion I always have with a musical director and I, you know, they may tell me to go, go eat a, you know, go eat it, dude. <laughs> You're not, we're not doing any changes, but at least I tried. Sure. Um, but on a lot of times they do listen to you and you say, listen, one of them's got to go. If the guy's going to play it and he plays it well, perfect let's do that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't need to be doubled in the playback and so i have literally in the past gone all the way back to the engineer and the record company of the record who made the stems or some assistant that made the stems and make them remove it from that stem if i don't have access to be able to do that it's Mm -hmm. that important guys it really is if you're working in rehearsals and you have a stem where there's something stuck in it and the musical director says well i want the live guy to play it 
don't just go, okay, well, I guess they're both going to play it. At least mm-hmm. make the effort to go back. You know, I used to go back to Lincoln Park all the time and go back to Ethan Mates, their, their engineer, and say, sorry, dude, can you go back six records and look at this stem? I need this stem totally. to be different. And he would. And, and uh, the end result of that, was a hundred times better than both the guitar player playing and the guitar in the stem. Right. Right. So again, the whole, I guess the whole point of this is, you know, just be, just be ever mindful of everything that's in there, particularly as we are squashing it and raising it to make that competitive RMS level. Cause there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into that, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Part of something that you guys should maybe think about too is, you know, we talked about Fletcher Munson and how our ears perceive different frequencies differently. Um, uh, all right. So a human ear in general perceives the most changes in the mid range, right? Um, so that's why when you look at a, a Fletcher Munson curve and the way SPLs where it changes in the low end and kind of the high end always kind of just stays the same, anything above 6K, pretty much your ear um, d- doesn't care what SPL that is, you know, but that 6K to I, I don't know what the specs are, but let's say a hundred or something, you know, average. Um, that is the stuff that you should be focused on when you're trying to compete uh, measured loudness versus um, perceived loudness, because those that's the stuff that is that gets perceived. So actually, this is a little bit weird, guys, but actually adding mid-range a little bit Mm -hmm. in your mix will give the perception that your mix is louder, right? So if I am super struggling on a PA system that I'm not normally using and I show up at a festival, um, you know, I will actually use the C6 on my output bus and take the mid-range section of that C6 and raise it a little bit. Now I'm talking about like 0.5. I'm not talking about 3 dB change. I'm talking about just a barely perceived change in my mid-range. Um, and believe it or not, it will help the perception um, of the overall mix. And it won't affect the measurement because right. what they're measuring, even though they're measuring LEQ, they are still measuring peaks, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take a whole section of frequency range and bring it up just by 0.5, the perception of it becomes a little bit louder, um, but the the measure doesn't. So that's one other kind of trick that I do every once in a while. That's not something I do all the time. That is literally, I've pulled all the tricks out of my rabbit hat and uh, or out, of, out of my hat. My I don't have any more rabbits. Um, Let's try that and see if we can get a, um, you know, I mean, I, I've been in a place recently, uh, I think, and it was uh, some crazy, like 94 mm-hmm. uh, DBA weighted over like 10 minutes or something. Um, just a really, really hard restriction with a rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was trying every way to beat it. And, um, and I think I used that as a tool and it kind of helped. Um, yep. Do you have any any other ones of those? Any any of those? No, we we've talked about this before, but I think it's important to repeat, and I'm sure we'll repeat it again. It's just this very tactic is, you know, let's say you know, I, and I talk a lot about 
tuning and specifically target curves and these sorts of things. A lot of times my target curve is for linearity, but then I will make cuts, particularly in that high mid portion that you mentioned where the ear is most sensitive, particularly at certain SPLs or at all SPLs, the sensitivity changes, but where we mix. So I'll have this PA that's tuned very linear, but then go in and I'll make these cuts just by ear. If I go back and measure again, it will probably look like the inverse of the Fletcher Munson curve. In other words, there's all this like two and two five and three that I've pulled out because they're coming out at me a little much. Now, if I do that on an everyday basis and then we get in an environment where there is an SPL limit, like you said, that now we're not saying we walk into any scenario and at 92 dBA we're crushing. We're saying Exactly. That. No, we are not we're saying And if it's 100, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll yeah. be okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but yes, when you get into those, like I, I remember the Greek theater in, uh, which is an outdoor venue in Berkeley, uh, it, it's notorious. Yeah. That's that concrete It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful, but it's a hard place to do a show at. Notoriously for sure. difficult. And, yeah, um, yeah. it's like 94 DBA over however many minutes. So let's say you go in there and every day you just about every day, you know, you put the PA, PA up, your systems engineer puts it up. And you've always, you notice you've always got a couple cuts and high mids. Those are, to your point, when you get in there, suddenly it's really low, put that stuff back because you're going to need it, you know? Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll so, for sure do that. But, but I was so, going to say, this is also, so real quick, I'll say it's the same thing as if you'll notice when you, if you usually mix it 100 and whatever, 100, 102, 104, whatever it is. Um, notice when you put house music on it, and it's way, way, way lower, how imbalanced it sounds. That's right. Like, even if you're not playing some heavy hip-hop song, it's like all sub, and you're kind of like, what? That's Fletcher Munson. That's our hearing is not the same. As it rises in level, it flattens out. So it stands to reason when you drop the volume, suddenly you're going to need, you're going to want to add some of this back in, and you're not really adding so much amplitude. An increased frequency level is going to provide a bit of an amplitude difference, but plus two at 3K is not the same as plus two on the output, but it'll, it'll work in your favor. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally does. I, you know, what I was going to say though, guys, is make sure that you truly understand these are like last resort stuff that we're doing to our mixes. This is not the every, I'm showing up at every festival and this is what I do. I add some low end and add some mid range and do that. I almost, 98% uh, of the time, my mix is my mix, whether it's a festival or whether it's, you know, somewhere else. And, and we're the reason we're telling you all of these things um, that are just little tips and tricks that you can try when you're have, struggling and having a horrible day, you should realize that we are way before this time period, we are getting all of our frequencies in our mix, um, in, a, in such a way that at our normal listening volume, whatever that is, 102 dBA weighted is tends to be where I kind of mix around a front of house, about 102. There's peaks of 104 and five in there, but there's also some 98 and some 97 um, uh, dBA weighted LEQ. Um, um, we have spent a bunch of time with our mixes that at whatever the normal volume that we listen to, let's say it's 102 for me, um, everything feels right, right? There's nothing poking out. There's none of that kind of weird um, frequency issues. 
And what happens when you get it right, your perception at lower volumes will actually make the mix feel bigger. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so this is something that we're working on over time. This isn't something that we're making changes on the day at a festival. But we do do, every once in a while, do the things that we were just talking about. Um, sure. So I, I just wanted to point out that this isn't something – it's not on my mind to show up at a festival and be like, oh, it's 96 dB here. I'm going to have to turn up my low end in my mix or I'm going to have to. But it's in our arsenal of available tools it's to in, go. That's right. right. I know what I might have to do today. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. You yes. know? So, and you know, and the combination of all of those tools is what makes you a badass and you turn into the guy that everyone looks at you and goes, why does his mix sound so much bigger? It's right. all of these culmination of all of the things that we've been talking about yep there's a lot of offshoot conversations from this as well one of which that i'm thinking of is as we're talking about you know it's building a mix that's appropriately loud competitively loud yet not this thing that's clipping all the time so we're talking yeah. about how to do this as it relates to both spl measurements mainly because we are in the live sound world and those are often a thing and are becoming more and more of a thing but it all also just goes back to how do you make a good mix? And one that's right. loud, it's that's not right. clipping all the time. And then another conversation that, that this is making me think of, and it's when we were talking about kind of adding some of that high mid stuff back in at lower levels, is really just on a mix level. Um, a lot of times think about, if I can just take, take this brief aside. Sure. About like when, you, when you've got a dense mix. Um, I know everyone loves to say, not everyone loves to say, a lot of people like to say like, oh, I barely had any EQ on it. I barely used any EQ. I love saying that too. That's great. But sometimes if I've got a keyboard, sometimes, and it's just not doing it for me, guess what? Sometimes I don't need to turn it up 3dB, which remember is not just turning that up 3dB. It's turning the whole, it's doing something within the mix. It's not turning the whole mix up 3dB, but it's contributing to the whole of the mix. Where I'm going with this is, Sometimes just go looking for a frequency. And I've embraced this a lot more lately than I did in the past. Like I'm not afraid to go to some ridiculous, seemingly ridiculous frequency on an input and boost 900 on a piano because it made right. it stick out. Because what that contributes to the overall mix is like point, who cares, dB, versus the, if I pushed it up three, it's louder, but I brought all that other stuff I didn't need. So think about how, think about shaping your mix and sometimes just go for frequencies. I was driving somewhere yesterday with my daughter and there was some pop song on. And every time the chorus came on, I would, I thought to myself, of course, I can't share this with a six year old, but I thought this to myself. I'm like, half of what I'm hearing right now is a plus 12 boost at 16K. Yes. You know what I mean? Like what made that chorus sound so airy and neat was the boost of the HF. Had they have just turned the whole thing up, yep. it wouldn't do the same thing. Wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah. I'm glad that you <laughs> – we're having all kinds of issues today. Um, I'm glad that you said that because that is, is exactly – I think about that same stuff. I tell people all the time, like, mm, if don't get into poking around into soloing up some of my inputs – Oh, um, no. Because some of my inputs by themselves are a little bit like, why does that piano have 900 in it? Wow, it's got a ton of it. Well, yep. don't listen to it there. Listen to it in the overall picture of what's going on because I do the same exact thing. Sometimes I'll make 
an instrument that was soloed up by itself is not all that much pretty. Uh, right. But in the scope of the mix, it pokes through enough that it is a thing, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this is all, you know, SPL is, is, is truly getting the perceived loudness of SPL. Really what we're talking about is how do you make your mix be better is really the deal, right? Sure. Like sure. Um, a better mix will then be perceived loudness, uh, will be perceived as louder um, than other people's mixes. I, I think a lot, one thing that is at the forefront of the way that I think when I'm building a mix is frequency sharing space. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but if you can get your mix to kind of be in a situation where all frequencies are being represented by different things and there's not peak areas of all of your frequencies. Um, if all of those frequencies are represented, the perception of your mix's loudness will be much louder as opposed to frequencies kind of all being representative, but there would be a big scoop at 200, let's say. Right. Um, uh, in regards to looking at it like it's smart, right? You look at it and you go, oh man, there's a big scoop at 200. Uh, it feels like there's, that, there's some 200 missing. That mix versus somebody that has their shit together where all frequencies are kind of being equally represented and, and RMS'd, for lack of a better term, sure. in frequency way, mm -hmm. um, the overall perception of the entire mix is perceived as louder. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does. Yeah. And this is making me think of things like in the middle of the show, and again, this goes into you know, Pooch and I talk a lot about we have these tried and true methods. And then if those don't work, we have these other things. At the end of the day, we're doing a live sound like you guys. There it's isn't combat audio, man. It's combat. combat. It yes. 100% is, you know. And I'm sitting here thinking about, I, I very rarely, and I think it's a good practice to have as much as I'm into sort of exercises for critical listening or like having marks to hit. Uh, I rarely have ever dug into what my favorite mixes look like via an RTA, you know, because... Yeah, 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 right. I don't know, but I think it's a good practice, and I think there could be a lot of validity to it, but I, I just, I don't know, I've never really gotten into that, because it all depends on what, what the music is and what matters. Totally. But you will notice, let's say you've got that screen up, of course, we talk a lot about not watching smart and, like, just being slave to it, but if you're, you've got that screen up off to the side and you see the RTA... A lot of times, or whatever you're using for that sort of measurement, um, a lot of times you'll see particularly in tall U.S. arenas, but in any tall venue, you get all that 400 to 800 that like lives in the roof. And it doesn't matter how great your prediction software is and how, how accurate the PA is focused. There's something just lives up there. And you'll watch on the RTA. You'll see every time a vocalist goes in, you'll see like this 600 thing. And that's not in your mix. Right. That's in the room. And while you can't EQ the room, you can EQ the system. For sure. Sometimes, though, you do just go, shit, every time that person who I know is vocal is as good <laughs> as it could be. I know it's as smooth as it could be, but in this room, it's setting off 400 yep. to 800. Maybe you make a little thing there. And again, as it goes into SPL, because that too will contribute to an SPL measurement. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. sometimes rooms just are set up, not sometimes, all the time, rooms are set off at different places. And that too will 
will factor into, uh, again, if there's a measurement. And even if there's not a measurement, it might just be an unpleasant sound. Yeah, know? for sure, for sure. I'm speaking to sh- trying to get our listeners oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. to have a tool. Um, so, so, you know, I, I'm like Chris. I don't spend all my time looking at smart and being like, oh, you know, I got a little something there I got to work on. Um, however, when you're learning how to get perceived loudness by looking at the output of your console, not the mic, by looking at the output of your console in smart, if you can achieve a more balanced frequency wise mix, um, it will help you uh, to the, to achieve the perception of loudness is kind of, so I'm, I'm trying to give you guys a tool like start there but then quit looking at smart and use your ears. I mean, you know, but that's a place that you could look at and, and check out. Um, you will notice also um, in that, go take a smart, go take smart and look at what your favorite records are going on. There are a lot of records that are not that, that are like super pokey at 2K or super pokey at 250. Um, kind of more modern records are along the lines of, of what I'm talking about using equally the, you know, the kind of frequencies that we're talking about. But, um, you know, certainly like in the eighties and nineties there, you know, if you looked at a record that was made, made then and looked at smart, you would discover that it is not that it's not like linear, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of more pokey parts and, don't get me wrong. I don't want your mixes to be completely linear. You know, where we get impact and where we get emotion from and where we get, um, I don't know what the word is, but w- w- the feeling of music, let's say, is by something that is not super squashed and not super linear. You know what I mean? You need all those things in order to have something sound musical. So all of these things we are suggesting to you in order to raise the perception of volume, you need to use sparingly. Yep, yep. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, something that I'll often do is, I mentioned kind of, I'll touch the, on the best of days, I don't look at, touch the stereo bus stuff. And for me, it's hardware, so it's right there. Or if it's, if it's in the box, it's simple and get to it real easy. Something I do most of the times, even if I'm, uh, let's say I've got cans on or near fields and I'm finding I'm liking a more squashed mix in general. And, and in, this, in this situation, I am talking about via the compressor. That aside right. from putting that transient through, I want it held back. Or sometimes I will go, like I'm usually like a 30 or 10 millisecond kind of guy on like a traditional VCA bus comp. Sometimes I like the sound of like three and one. I mean, that's kind of cool and grabby too. A lot of times I'll convince myself that's what I want, then what I want. Then once the show gets going, <laughs> that, that threshold starts going higher yep. and higher. The, the attack goes back to where it always is, which is 10 or 30. And I've got the needle doing like this. Yep. It's like half a dB or one. Just tickling. And, and yeah. Just tickling. And then the output, though, comes down a t- like because that, that's, what you're t- that's, that's that excitement, that movement, that feeling. I remember having back-to-back nights with Lady Gaga at Staples Center years ago. And it had been one of those tours where it was just super dialed in. And everywhere we went was high fives. And it was just, you know. Was, right, right, right. Right. Everything was great. We got into Staples Center on the first night. And it's not the first time I've been in there. And it just sucked, man. It just wasn't fun. Huh. 
And I kind of left sort of dejected. And, you know, the next night I came in, the only thing I did is I went to the, did exactly what I just said. Wow. I just loosened up that stereo bus comp, you know, and it just moved just enough. Came alive. Yeah. And it came alive. And that's all I did. We didn't touch the system. We didn't do one thing. And it was night and day different, you know. So I Yeah, that's, it's amazing that you say that. It's, um, once you get to a place where the littlest of changes are huge things, that is an indicator that you got it right. Like if you you got going on where if you grab the, your, your compressor on your mix bus and adjust it by just, you know, two, two things. And all of a sudden there's a drastic change that happens. That kind of means that you've, man, I've got this, you know, handled, I got this ringed in. So, yep. Yep. Cool. Sure. Um, we're kind of coming to the end. Uh, what, uh, do you have anything else you want to address on this topic? I mean, I think we have maybe given the guys, um, a lot of tools, um, to, you know, to get some perceived loudness versus. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say as always just experiment, you know, with your club or your tour or your church or your, yeah, whatever you're at home now, see what this all, see what this stuff sounds like. Yeah. Then when you're able to get in, but go back into the wild, put it into practice. And I talk about not being afraid to put that peak limiting on there. Well, try it because there is a point where you do need to be afraid, you know, like see totally. where you can take it and what you can and can't get away with and, and develop your own style. For this. Totally. You know, the one thing I just, as after I just said, Hey, is there anything else we should be talking about? I thought one more thing that we should talk about um, mm-hmm. is Luffs. We should talk about broadcast yeah in the same place that perceived uh, volume is in regards to the acoustical perceived volume. Nowadays, everybody's mixing to broadcast, right? So um, we're using, a lot of guys are using um, meters, loudness meters these days to stay within the parameters of whatever the social media thing is, you know? So generally, um, a, a LUFS measurement, well, I don't know. Tell them a little bit what LUFS is and, sure. and then we'll, we'll speak about what is, what the measurement numbers are. Yeah. But, so LUFS came around as a, as a, uh, as a result of proposed and eventually instigated um, uh, legislation. And I believe right. it began in Europe where it's the whole thing of you're sitting there, you're watching TV and then crazy Larry's ad comes on and it's 30 times louder and you're all chasing. It. So they wanted to do something about that. So the broadcast entities developed and they all have their own standards and it stands for loudness units, full scale full scale. And so what you, so essentially what they were doing with those ads is, you know, TV or whoever, or even if it was a broadcast mix thing, they were staying within a level that may have been loud, but they, they allowed for some dynamics to retain some sort of audio character and care. Crazy Larry's couch sale doesn't <laughs> give a shit. And he his was, they were, yeah. God damn it, we're breaking the <laughs> His or her, that thing was, there was no variance between RMS and no. peak. It was full bore, baby. So it would come in to be super loud. So they, they said, look, you've got to stay here. And it's very similar. It's just, it's measured different. Um, and I won't go into the mathematics of it, but it's similar to, you can look at it, it like LUFS, a negative 10 LUFS and a negative 10 RMS is not the same thing. Right. The mathematics is different. That's what it was created for. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, everybody has their own. So in fact, if you go in with some screaming loud signal, 
if it's above their standard, if their standard is negative seven or whatever, yeah. if you go in there and it's above it, not, not only have you not just like whipped everybody like you thought you were going to, you're going to be turned down. You're actually going to be lower. So I can say this. I've always uh, checked my RMS and my peak as I'm building mixes, particularly as I did more and more where my mixes were going to broadcast. Lefts is, is not new, but it means way more now than it ever did. When I next big tour I build, it's going to lean more heavily on Luff's measurements. And, you know? Yeah, and I think um, more and more people will maybe have that loudness meter on their, uh, you know, the broadcast or the record bus just yes. to kind of see what's happening, you know. Um, so RMS – the difference between RMS and LUFS, as I perceive it, is that an average RMS is somewhere around 300 milliseconds. It's taking samples of information, whereas LUFS is more like LEQ for SPL measurement in that it is over the entire time of when you start the thing. So say you, you, know, you, you can uh, instantiate the LUFS plugin, it starts working it will continue to make an average of that over time. So it could be even 30 minutes worth of averaging that that meter is coming up with the total amount. So you'll often see in a LUFS meter, it'll show you peak information of where you're at at all the time, which is more kind of an RMS meter. And then the LUFS averaging, which is kind of like what LEQ is for SPL, but, but, you know, looking at the bus that's doing that. So I kind of just wanted to bring that up um, be, just because we live in this world now where we're doing all this broadcast stuff. Um, you know, I, I too am not the guy that was using Luff's metering uh, before, but I think now that I've been doing a lot of streaming and certainly posting a lot of stuff like this, um, you know, mm -hmm. every social media thing has its own, their own, uh, you know, what they want you to be at. Like YouTube, for some reason, is at minus 16. The rest of the world is pretty much at minus 14. So it just depends, you know. It's like you have to look at whatever those things are and work to the, towards that. In that world, I now know that I'm going to have to start looking at more and more at a LUFS meter for the stuff that I'm shipping to a broadcast guy or, or, or away for me. So, And, um, and you know – Something important is just, you know, LUFS, even though it 100% pertains to streaming and broadcast, it's going to, it's not going to, it is becoming a critical part of just the verbiage of, of totally. mixing. Yep. So where you have someone like myself or you, we're referring to RMS, 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 RMS. Um, pretty soon that language is going to change to where people are going to be talking about LUFS, even if their mix never goes anywhere near a broadcast or a streaming site, yep. you know? So just learn it because it's where we're headed and it's a measurement that's going to matter. Yep. It does matter. Yeah. Um, and also the interesting thing, uh, you know, I was doing this the other day, which is interesting. You know, I was streaming um, uh, or I was going to stream to that Live Sound Summit thing. And so I was looking at a LUFS meter to kind of, you know, just see what I was going to be streaming broadcasting out. And it was telling me a lot about what was happening with my peaks in my mix. It was very telling looking at a peak meter that's on the left thing and then seeing what the result of that measurement was. It was kind of actually helpful 
for me to see what was happening dynamically in my mix, which I had not experienced before. Just using it as a tool as looking at it and being like, oh, wow, yeah, that section does have a lot of peak information in it um, that I may not have noticed without looking at a LUFS meter. So anyway, it's something that we're definitely going to be, you know, we're definitely going to gonna be uh, using more and more, and it'll definitely be part of the verbiage. Um, yep. So, all right, Chris. Well, thanks a lot for an awesome – I learned a lot today. That was, that that was, was a good lot one. of fun. It was. Nice well, escape. I say that every time, but that was a good escape. <laughs> no, it was a good escape. Um, yep. Thanks for showing up, guys. Uh, make sure that you tell all your friends, come subscribe. Um, you know, subscribe to our social media, you know, um, and uh, we'll keep doing them. All right. Thanks for showing up, guys. See ya. See you, everybody.